May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. I don't know about you, but whenever I read Romans, I can sometimes get a headache. It is so dense. It is so thick. But this beautiful reading this morning, um, today's theme, Love in Action, is delivered in short uh, black and white sentences. It makes the passage really easy to, to read. And in one level, it makes it really easy to understand. It's a series of commands or urgings um, to the church on how to live a Christ-like life of love among our brothers and sisters, but also among the world. Um, This is what love in action is. Paul divided this into two very convenient sections for us. The first one deals with us, with the church, with the group, and then what we do with that, being one people of God, as we go out into the world to love our neighbours as ourselves. And what that really means when we do that as a church, not just trying to do it in our own strength individually. Because the power is the same power that we have in Christ, which is being one. But this love and action, in my experience in life, um, is really dangerous for me anyway. We can jump into this sea of love and nearly drown because we fully didn't fully grasp the sort of love that Paul was talking about, nor that Jesus was talking about in today's magnificent gospel reading. Love isn't always love, actually. Um, And I hope to use this magnificent gospel to a bridge between Charlie's sermon last week on the um, the ingrafting of all people into God's people. Uh, And today's passage um, tells us how we are to live. Now we are one in God. The Gospels of Matthew, Mark and Luke essentially take the Hebrew definition of how we are to love as found in the Torah, that is the first five books of the Bible. That is, we are to love God with absolutely everything we are and everything we have, and we are also to love our neighbours as we love ourselves. As the parable of the Good Samaritan tells us, everybody is our neighbour. But today's Gospel passage, though, Jesus takes this to a whole other level. We are not to love as we love ourselves, but we're to love as Jesus has loved us. Our love is totally dependent on the love that God has shown us and given us in the person of Christ. John writes elsewhere in his first letter that we love only because God first loved us. The Greek word used for love in both the gospel passage and in our key verse this morning uh, today is self-sacrificing love. Loving without receiving any material or physical or emotional reward uh, or any return on our investment of love, if you'd like. We remain or abide or live in this love because when we believe, we are in Christ in the very same way that Jesus is in God. And because God is this love, so we are called to be. And that really blows my mind. That is an insane thing to say and to attempt to live. But it's not up to us, and that's the good news. The really good news, we don't have to strive to do this, as I hope at the end of this little address 
we will all agree. We remain in this love when we obey Jesus' commands in the same way that Jesus remained in God's love when he obeyed the Father's commands. And Jesus' command is this, to love each other. Jesus, in this particular passage, is not talking about loving our neighbour, but our brothers and sisters in Christ, each other. This is how the body of Christ is constituted, if you will. Just as Charlie said last week regarding the doctrine of election, Jesus says today, I chose you, you did not choose me, but I chose you to appoint um, and appointed you to bear fruit that will last. Today's passage shows us exactly what that fruit looks like. In the first verse of our key verse today, verse 9, we can immediately hit a snag. We yearn to bear fruit for the Lord, but here we read that our love must be sincere. The word translated as sincere here literally means unhypocritically. But if I find someone difficult and I don't actually like them very much, how can I love them as I've been commanded to do so? And if I pretend to love them as I've been commanded to do so, doesn't that make me a hypocrite? For Paul, though, and the early church, love is more about what people do than what they feel. In the early church especially, self-sacrificing love was connected quite directly with helping out others who are in need, often financially, rather than from necessarily having warm feelings about them in our heart. Of course, it's possible for this to be done um, coldly and in a patronising sort of way. But again and again in our Christian experience, we discover that when we pray for strength and make a movement towards Christ, then to our own surprise, love, care and concern for the other's welfare quickly springs up. This is the opposite of faking it or being a hypocrite. We submit our lack of love to prayer and just as this morning's Gospel reading says, the Father gives us this gift to love through the work of the Holy Spirit, purely because we desired it and asked for it. Anything we ask for in Jesus' name, he will give us. This is what honouring each other means in Paul's reading this morning. In the verses immediately prior to our passage today, Paul writes that believers have different callings, all gifts of the Holy Spirit, some to teaching, some to ministering, some to being generous, some to being really hospitable, but today's passage is for all of us, everyone here. All of us are called to do these things. For sure, some will need more than others the command to be patient in affliction. Some more than others are in a position to be really generous with their hospitality. But all of us should do all of these things most of the time. We are to be joyful in the hope that we have in Christ in life eternal. Share with, those who, uh, share with those who need something that we have. Take care of people and nourish them with what is ours without being asked. This is true hospitality. One of the commands in the first half of the reading of Left Till Last, because of all the commands to actively love, this is so deep. 
In verse 11, Paul urges us to take our spiritual life really seriously, fervently and enthusiastically. This is not the life we were born with. Jesus says earlier in John's Gospel in chapter 3 that in order to see the kingdom of God, that is to live fully in his mercy and grace and peace and love, we must be born again or born from above. This is the true and new life that we have when we experience the salvation of God. But what does that mean? How do I know if I have experienced the salvation of God? Paul again reassures us in Romans uh, chapter 10 that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's as simple and as basic as that. And this new life is so real and non-imaginary that Paul gives the most everyday and ordinary analogy of putting on a new set of clothes. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 9 and 10, he writes, We take off our old self and put on a new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Now, this is quite remarkable. Sometimes it's really helpful to look at the grammar that's used in Scripture. And Paul is saying that our new self and the things we know of our Lord and how to be a disciple are being constantly renewed in and by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is why we get more and more Christ-like as we grow in our faith and our love toward all. In our new life, we are in fact one with each other. In John 17, two chapters on from this, we are privileged to listen into Jesus' prayer for the disciples and also the believers that will come after them. That's us. And this is such a beautiful prayer. Jesus prays, Holy Father, by the power of your name, the name that you gave me, protect them so that they may be as one as we are one. It is because we are one with Christ, they are one with each other. If I could just pause for a sec here and say that if anyone here today is unsure of where they stand with Christ or is confused by what I've just said, or burns to be one with Christ but doesn't know how to, or has doubts about God's love for them due to just terrible circumstances they've experienced in life. Look, please come and see the prayer team after the service, or Charlie, or me, or somebody you trust. The writer of Hebrews says that God has set a certain day to do this, and he's named that day. And the name of that day... God called today. It's really important we recognise this oneness, which is why I spent some time on it, this divine unity, because the second half of this passage is how we as a body, as the church, display love in action to the world around us. Again, Paul begins with a love command. Bless those who persecute us. This is Jesus' command throughout the Gospels, particularly in Matthew and Luke. We are to love our enemies. For many of us, our first urge is not to bless them, but to get even. 
And earlier in this passage, we are commanded to hate what is evil. This can seem contradictory. Am I to bless at the same time as I am to hate? Obviously, no. Persecution takes many forms and all of it is evil. Because we believe in a God who creates, who created and made this beautiful and lovely and good world, we believe that everything that defaces or distorts or disfigures or damages or spoils part of this creation is the opposite of God, and that is evil. Evil is real. Evil often does hurt, and it does matter. Paul's point, though, is that we are to hate evil, but not evil people. So what do we do here? Paul flips this question on the head, and the question is not what do we do here, but what has God done about it? A good portion, as Charlie said in the introduction, pardon me, of this whole letter to Romans is devoted to this. And in chapter 5, verses 6 to 11, it's rendered right down into beautiful summary form. And at the heart of that passage, verse 8, Paul writes, While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait until our behaviour reached some sort of minimum standard But when we were still persecuting him, Christ died for us. God has taken the full weight of human evil on himself, thereby exhausting it, in the words of Tom Wright. By attempting to get even or payback or revenge, we actually keep evil in circulation, the opposite of exhausting it. God is love for sure. But God is also pure and utter justice. Leave it to God. Just as nothing is hidden from the heat of the sun, just as no evil can ever be hidden from God. Look, this is particularly applicable in the season of Lent, particularly when we lead up to Good Friday. We serve Christ, the one to whom it seemed evil had conquered. But evil was overcome not by getting even, but by the power of his own love and life. And because we are one with Christ, we too can demonstrate that same power by the way we live in the world. The command to rejoice with those who rejoice, to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn, doesn't just refer to each other here. It doesn't just refer to our brothers and sisters. Paul has now sent us out and this Uh, to our neighbours and everybody in the world. When someone we know in our street or in our neighbourhood has good news, celebrate joyfully with them. They've got a new baby. They're going on a holiday. Their son got a really good um, score in a test. Whatever it is, rejoice with them. And be there for people and weep with those who encounter tragedy in life. Life is really hard. This is called empathy, and it's a big difference between empathising with our neighbours and sympathising with them. Sympathy can often be a form of self-focus to make us feel better without our life having to be disturbed in the least little bit. 
but the setting where we truly empathise, that is, feel with our neighbours. This is the setting where we become known and liked and respected. The setting where people will be more prepared to talk about the Lord. This is also the setting for true evangelism, I think, where sometimes no words at all are needed. By doing this, we create harmony. Sometimes it's easy for a Christian to live in our own kind of um, salvation bubble, if you like. I'm saved, so I'll just get on with my life. This almost defines spiritual pride. It shows a lack of awareness of the huge price that was paid for this salvation and always leads to conceit. When we've allowed the Spirit to do his work, we really do come to realise that God so loved the whole world that he gave his one and only Son, Jesus, up to death. The whole world, not just those who may or may not be saved, in our opinion. What do we know what is in anyone's heart? We don't. By ignoring the world, we're not doing right by it. And to do right by it, we need to love it. If we don't, we become exactly like the priest and the Levite in the parable of the Good Samaritan who crossed the road rather than love the person who'd been beaten up and left to die in all that heat and the dust on the Jericho Road. Paul completes this passage by quoting from Proverbs chapter 25. By truly loving our enemies, the writer of Proverbs says, we will heap burning coals on their head. I think this particular text has been really badly misunderstood. I've heard it interpreted in the form of some sort of Christian payback. Ha! Cop that persecutor. See how my love will drive you insane. But I think there's a better way, a New Testament way, to look at this. Earlier in this chapter, in verse 2, we read that by giving absolutely all we are and that we have to Christ, what Paul calls becoming a living sacrifice, we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. This is fully a gift of the Holy Spirit, who is often depicted as flames or fire sovereignly descending onto the heads of believers, onto their minds, if you will. So just as we are transformed by the renewing of our minds when encountering the full love of God in the crucified and risen Lord by the power of the Holy Spirit, so too will our enemies be when confronted with the full Christ-life self-sacrificing love of we, the ones who are already chosen. Holy and cleansing fire will be poured on our enemies' heads too. And this is how we overcome evil, not with more evil, but by doing good, by our own lives and our own love, just as Christ did. Please let me pray. Father, we praise and thank you that we are yours and you love us. By the power of the Holy Spirit, help us to fix our eyes on the person and life of Jesus, your Son, the author and perfecter of our faith, in his name, our friend and companion, Lord, King and God. Amen.